0: learning where like these items become bottlenecks you can help tweak and improve and optimize and bring up the the base level for everybody going back to where does that go into developer experience that's usually what people are measured against okay you know we're all working towards delivering this feature but also other objective measures to look at and a good developer experience will increase those metrics intrinsically
1: Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Ravi Lachman, who is a principal product manager at Harness. How are you, Ravi? I'm hey, doing well, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, really excited to have you on the show and I want to talk about a bunch of things today. Um, I want to learn more about Harness. Um, I've kind of seen the company grow from the sidelines and I, um, it seems like the product suite is expanding and like a lot of really interesting developer focused products and, and features and stuff that I'd like to learn about. Um, and I know you've given some talks recently kind of on like developer experience overall. So I, I want to learn about that. Um, but maybe we can start with harness. So maybe give us a quick overview for folks who aren't familiar. What is harness?
0: Yeah, yeah. So if it was a couple of years ago, and you would like Google harness, like dog harnesses would be actually the number one result, we, we actually did an April Fool's joke, two years ago that we made Harness dog harnesses and set them out for people who, who uh, you know re- requested one. Uh, but Harness is a software delivery platform, so it's like a really wide brush style paint there, but th- there's a lot of steps between you as a developer and getting your idea out in production. There's confidence building steps, there's infrastructure, there's how do you make sure something is running right you know, after you deploy something, and there's it's a wide gamut. So Harness is a platform specifically designed for software delivery. So, kind of, Harness started in the continuous delivery space. So, that would be how do you get like literally deploying something or delivering something. Um, but this Harness platform has expanded to multiple modules. So, it focuses also on build with continuous integration. It has a security orchestration, it has a SLO management, it has chaos testing. Uh, it has just a bunch of features and functionality out there just to get your ideas any which way uh, into the hands of the end users and also experiments. So I think uh, last year was a feature flag platform uh, that, they, that they
1: introduced. Got it. So a lot of yeah, tooling to kind of take, sounds like take you from like pre-production to production and um, kind of everything in between. And so I'm curious, like how does what Harness offer kind of differ from other products out there like there's a there's a lot of tools in the ci cd space everything from circle ci to amazon and google have ci cd offerings like what's different and unique and special about harness yeah so harness takes uh, a little bit more of an opinionated approach and so <clears throat> harness will actually
0: for the core continuous delivery platform and mimic what you and i would do uh together uh for example let's say you were let's say if you were you and I run a team and you're the senior engineer or you're the development manager on a team and you task me. It's like, hey, Ravi, go and deploy something. Like, Harness, like all of your intrinsic knowledge is locked in with you. You know when something's going right, you know when something's going wrong. I have a lot of stories actually, like about when I started out as an engineer. Uh, I remember, this would be a little more of a long-winded answer there. When I, when I, my very first real job out of school, I was working in the federal space for, for IBM. And so like it was, TSA was the, uh, the, the client and so i, I the very first time with the prod i started seeing like all these errors starting to appear like warn 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 error error error, in like WebSphere um nd I, I, I was flipping out i was like oh did i crash like you know reporting at airports like <laughs> this is not gonna be good and i remember the more senior engineer she was with me she's like oh no no that's that's normal and that's like I've never seen these in my local environment. Are you crazy? Like, what, what does this mean? It's like, oh, yeah, we see them all the time uh, when the application starts up and they'll just kind of taper off. And it's like I, I had this blank look on my face that that was even possible. Uh, but that, that was such an intrinsic thing. You know, when that, that senior, like, you know, eventually everyone moves on. And then when that senior left, there was no one there to teach the next generation or the next set of people who came on. Harness would mimic that interaction. Right, like Harness has a lot of machine learning, like you know, word of the day, AI, ML, right? Like it it has a lot of that learning in it, saying, oh, you know, these were actions or metrics or telemetry that was happening before Uh, it's normal or it's deviated, and it kind of takes that across the entire platform and helps you, like even more so, kind of cranking that along the way, uh, solving more intrinsic software engineering problems. For example, test coverage. And was there a flaky test uh, do you have over? do you have too much coverage do you have too little coverage can tests be ran in a more efficient way and, and it keeps going module to module like what is the most high priority thing to look at what is the lowest priority thing to look at and that's where harness differentiates that it kind of embodies um, a lot of that engineering or devops platform knowledge into the product into a simple to use and also
1: um, it's a very consistent user experience and developer experience across uh, the product suite And one of the things you also mentioned is feature flagging. So that's another area where there's a lot of tools in this space, but I'm curious, like, does the, you know, how does harnesses feature flagging maybe um, tailor and and tie in nicely with some of the CI, CD and deploy pipelines and things to kind of offer like a, my guess is like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. There's like, so like, yeah, why build feature flagging in the first place and how does it tie in with the existing feature set?
0: Yeah, there's there's been a rise in, like, you know, feature flag vendors out there, like the whole progressive delivery movement, you know, that was made made popular. Like, feature flagging, you know, I, I... it wasn't anything i would say like as a software engineer a conditional statement has been there forever you know like since this first gen like you know take it back to like the 60s like an if statement was was out there right but what where future flagging became kind of a thing was out of, i know if long would answer again was like out of facebook they they invented one of the first feature flagging platforms like for their they used to call it dark features or dark rollouts you know they the ultimate A-B test, I used to be subject to them. I would ask people like, hey, why is my Facebook distribution two gigabytes in the App Store versus 750 megs? Like, oh, you're part of a test. It's like, what What are you testing on me? We well, don't know. I had somebody to work there, right? They, they didn't know what it was, but just like, you're, that's probably what's going on uh, with you know, how you're getting the application distributed to you. Uh, but that takes it, you know, it, it, it really brings the power back to people who need to make the change. So limits to blast radius that Your question probably was like, you know, what how it's hard is harness different than other feature flag platforms, platforms out there? Uh, it, it's the same thing. Like the sum is greater than the individual parts there. Um, and also it's it, going back to the whole intelligence thing, like how do we provide a clean way of enabling something? How do we provide a clean way of when is appropriate to enable something? How do we provide a clean way to give you metrics on was your experience successful? Uh, a common thing, you know, from a developer standpoint, like it's always hard to get that data, right? Like, you know, usually it's kind of locked away and like a product manager, not a product manager, right? <laughs> like you talk about, I already hear like Sometimes those those data, that data doesn't trickle down into the hands of the people who have to make the change or, you know, as a developer, you know, you're core to the innovation. Like you can have a different lens or different idea how to solve a problem. Um, Harness tries to democratize that. Think, hey, this data is available for everybody. And also, it's easy to enable and disable um, a toggle or a Boolean. It does.
1: Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. You mentioned before um, Harness now does something that helps with chaos engineering. So, for folks that maybe aren't familiar, like, what is chaos engineering um yeah can you just give us an overview of that
0: yeah so like there it came out of like Netflix right like you know the, it was it's a way of testing resiliency or robustness in your infrastructure applications um as it I there's a concept like I talk about it's a system there's a kind of a distributed systems concept I talk about. It's called the fog of system development. It's a cliche on the fog of war, right? Like it's situational awareness. And so, you know, having no one person knows the entire end-to-end flow. I guarantee you there's not a single person at Netflix, that can tell you every single microservice or every single service, one hundred percent what they do and what's the, the upstream, downstream, the aggregation of what comes back to you. because the systems are so distributed and complex, so you kind of, you know, as an engineer, you focus on your domain or you focus on the services that you own, and that that's it. Um, with with that, you know, limited, you know, again, it's hard to say. Like, there, there's always these limitations to your purview that you have, even though it might be very wide. Uh, how do you test robustness or resiliency? from a systemic way like going joke i was taking services out of production way before chaos engineering like <laughs> it, it was a, one of my specialties but um, it's it's oh, injecting fault a, in certain places uh, for example a standard chaos experiment would be something is unavailable right so you have you know arbitrarily knocking uh let's say i forget what the Chaos monkey, like specifically targeting like specific uh, processes in Docker, or specific specific machine AMIs that are running, uh, to kind of see like what your application or your service will do. That similar thing with chaos, chaos uh, chaos engineering has gotten a lot bigger, so there's a lot more faults and experiments to do. And also from a platform standpoint, going back to you, well, you have all this data, like what a- what happened in variant A versus variant B. Variant A might be you suffered from a network black hole. Right, So there's something that wasn't able to connect, uh, so you are you're rerouted rerouted back to yourself. Uh, how does your, you know, do you, does a thundering herd appear? These are all like SRE type of things, right? Like, hey, like, how graceful was your handling of this problem? Did it manifest to the user? And that's what chaos engineering is all about. How do you limit manifestation of errors by actually testing these things that you probably wouldn't have thought about, you know, um, before?
2: it's emily again producer for pod rocket and i want to talk to you yeah you the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front end framework to your friends even though they don't want to hear about it anymore well i do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener so what do you think of pod rocket what do you like best what do you absolutely hate what's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about edge computing, weird little component libraries, how to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out. I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card.
1: So you recently gave a talk uh, at Dev Innovation Summit 2022, and the t- title of the talk was KISS, Building a Consistent Developer Experience. So uh, what does that mean? Uh, so
0: w- when I think of a KISS, I think of a Hershey KISS. It's like, <laughs> uh, I always think about food a lot, but uh, KISS, it, it's actually an acronym for uh, Keep It Simple Stupid. It's a design principle. It was, actually came about from the U.S. Navy in the 1960s, and so uh, simplicity certainly has its virtues. But when trying to build very big and complex systems, uh, overarching goal should be try to keep it as like s- as simple as possible. Because like if you start adding multiple complex decisions, uh, you know when you have to do something in a hurry, or you have to train somebody, or we all know what how what complexity does, right? If you have two solutions and one is simple and one is complex and they both achieve the
1: same thing, why don't you just keep things simple rather than making it complicated? And I guess more uh, more concretely, like, what are some examples of like when building developer experiences where you know the maybe the natural inclination would be to overcomplicate things, but like it's important to to keep things as simple as possible.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like. It, it, it's always funny, like, if if you take a look at, like, where the ramp time actually is for a software engineer, and this is this is more of, like, an, an kind of intrinsic thing. Like, let's say, like, you and I switch teams all of a sudden, right? So we, we were plopped down into a, a new team. It, it's even ironic, like, even folks in the same company or organization, you know, they, they, they go through the same learning curve that if they started another job somewhere else, which is interesting. So, like, you know, the first you know, your first week you get your development environment set up and you get a local build going and you're able to like change something or make a material change like locally or in a development integration environment. But what takes the longest time is learning how to go to production. I must've been counting 12 or 13 engineering teams before I kind of stepped out of day to day development work. And every time I changed teams, it was like, hey, you know, my background was in Java or distributed Java. And so I was like, well, I'm very familiar with Java or JEE, uh, but I'm not familiar with how we go about adding, you know, decorating this to go to a deployment system, to validating that the changes were correct, to validating that going to production was the same. And so usually a lot of complexity that, you know, what the engineer or like here, or she, the software engineers not dealing with a daily basis, they're not typically deploying to production uh, multiple times a day like, uh, no you might say oh Facebook Amazon Netflix you know they deploy every 11 point6 seconds I'll make some numbers up there but you know it that's it's rare to do that like you know take, take yourself to the other 80% percent sovereign shares it it's it's a it's a big deal you know and you have a lot writing on it and it's you know there's a lot of unknowns that you try to work your way through and a lot of confidence building exercises like that's again the fog of the development a lot of folks are not exposed to all the rules and the, their pipeline, right? Like like you can overly I've been in some very complicated deployment scenarios that people have to sign off on it. It was regulatory stuff, or I didn't know what the next step was. I had to like kind of you know use my nose to like kind of edge forward every time. And that's where a lot of complexity is. Like at the end of the day, you want something going to a hand of an end user in a safe and sustainable way. Like what's the path of leech resistance uh, for that funny. It's like uh, going back to a bank I was a consultant or deployed engineer for. um, It it was so funny because like they had such a lengthy change control process. But if there was a problem, let's say there was a production issue, like 80 to 90 percent of their policy went out the doors, like just get it fixed. It's like. But the same result happened. Like we were able to deploy like in an hour versus like we sat there for like a week, you know, arguing. Well, they were trying to probably prevent something from happening, but you know, it's like why not just use the uh, you know the instant deployment path all the time because it works, right? That's where you can overcomplicate things, like putting putting a
1: lot of toil in front of getting their idea out there, and. What is WHAM? It's a uh, acronym you introduce in the in the talk. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: So WHAM, wham is it's uh, it was more of like WHAM, you know, like like it was more not an acronym. Maybe I capitalized it in the in the presentation. Ah, okay. And so yeah, so like uh, um, one of the I, I, one of the things that was it was me trying to say like there's a lot of like decisions that have to be made when you're deploying. So, like you know why is there a lot of decisions? I remember like reading in a textbook and if anybody gets a copy of the presentation, like I have to search, like Google near and far to like find this. It was just like picture of like what it's called. um, How many regulations go into a hamburger? It was like from the eighties, right? So it was like 41,000 regulations. There's a picture of a hamburger and it's like, there's 41,000 regulations that go into this hamburger. So like, you know, it's like from the transportation to the, how the raw materials, how it's cooked to how it's sold. Like there was this, a lot of regulations and rules to follow. And kind of like that wham, like the next slide, like wham, you know, like, okay, we're not talking about food here. You know, at dev, you know, like not, I got away with it, but using Hershey' kisses in the hamburger, i like, I don't think I get away with it anymore if I keep talking about it. Um, uh, it's, it was basically a very lengthy CICD, or not CS/CD, but a very, very lengthy deployment flow. Like you have to follow a branch and then you have to get tested and then you have to document it. And then you have to, you know, make configuration for the next environment. And you have to work for QA. Then you have to get the feedback to QA. And it went on and on and on. It's like, you know, this is like not that different than what a lot of people go through. Like, you know, there's like multiple environments. You know, there's multiple uh, levels of rigor as you kind of increase, uh, you know, there's the subjective and the objective you're dealing with. And that was like the wham part. Like, how are there 41,000 regulations to hamburger? Like, you don't know that as an engineer. Like, how are there like 100 steps to go through Going back to, that, I know, like a long-winded answer here, like, uh, I always remember like that very first, like that first TSA project I was on was like so influential to everything I did because that was like the, the where I started, like as a as, you know, full-time employee, right? And I remember their, their change, their, they had like a Word document that I remember the number had 158 steps, 158. 158 was what what to get it to publish something in that, you know, that that portal application we're building. It's like, yeah. <laughs> that was a lot. You know, my machine there was like three steps. <laughs> Why is there hundred and fifty eight? This lengthy, lengthy length, you know, it crashed my machine opening up Word document, like how big it was, but uh yeah, that's that's where complexity it can certainly certainly come in.
1: And talk to me about ownership in developer experience and like the concept of, like, who owns things, who owns everything, and, like, in the presentation, you relate that to, like, Conway's Law. So talk to me about that subject.
0: Yeah, so, like, so I'll I'll give a base explanation of, like, developer experience. Like, developer experience is like user experience, so it's, like, its acronym is, like, DX, uh, but the you know that's similar to ux right user experience but except except uh except the user is a developer right so how the feelings of how he or she or the, the developer as they interact with the systems in, in place and how they and the tooling and how they get their job done is their general like feelings and consensus and um ability to get their job done and so part of like who so the next part is okay who owns that experience right and uh, there's i, I kind of came up with like four separate personas because like C- conway's law is is this organizational um concept that uh system design follows communication pattern right so like if you have uh if you have an operations team and a development team you know they're they both develop systems based on the way they like to communicate right like and so it, it's who owns your developer experience? Is it a DevOps engineer? Is that part of your DevOps or DevToolings team or platform engineer team? Um, is it a system engineer, the person who you know controls where the stuff goes eventually? Does the developer own it themselves? Like does he or she have your full brain? And and it kind of talks about like, hey, it was it was more of an open-ended question, like getting folks to think like no no one person will will technically own it because each one of them brings in a different piece of expertise, like uh, you know a lot of folks I interact with are DevOps engineers, and you know and their internal customers are developers, and so like you know there might be a little bit of a relationship between like, hey, the developers are the internal customers, right and so if your internal customers are happy, your external customers would be delighted also because they're able to produce better work, or versus like you know, a lot of people putting up these barriers. Uh, you know, into place. Like we can't, you know, change makes stuff go wrong, right? If it's running right, why change it? You know, there might be more, you know, the much more barriers of a system engineer had to, to, um, to create that developer experience, right? And so each one is each one has pros and cons uh, to it.
1: And. Curious to understand more about what is Dora. Um, that's another concept you introduced in the presentation, um, and I hadn't heard of that before. So curious what what that means and what's the impact on developer experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it might be like so, so Dora is like this DevOps research and assessment. And I think they got purchased by Google. I can't I can't remember like, but they're like a group of group of very talented folks uh, that produced a bunch of research, and so uh, there's these. There's this concept of like, there's four, you might hear it like the, the four Dora metrics, right? Like, so it's a way of measuring uh, engineering efficiency. And so uh, in the in the olden days, let's say it might be, you know what, how many lines of code did someone write, you know, to measure developer efficiency or like output? How many commits did you make from GitHub? you better be green in every box. Th- those are asinine vanity metrics. Like they don't really show much. Like if you want me to produce more commits, I'll commit every every sentence, every period, every line I make, I'll have a dark green bubble or square in GitHub if that's what gives me my bonus, right? And so Dora had came up with the, the authors came up with kind of like four metrics and those metrics to, that I think really sufficiently measure efficiency would be how often like deployment frequency is one of them. Also um, there's a couple others that like are telling like one would be lead time to change. So like you know, going from code to production. And a lot of that's, that's you know, lead, lead time to change is out, outside the developer's hands. It's like a lot of this would be how burdensome your processes are. Uh, you know, time to restore, if there was an issue, how long did it take you to restore previous functionality? And also change failure rate. When you try to go to prod, how often did it fail, right? And so like that, that will help measure like overall like entering efficiency again no one person knows that you know does the developer own all the tests or do they own the deployment mechanism like no there's multiple people involved but learning where like these items you know kind of become bottlenecks you can kind of uh you know help tweak and improve and optimize and bring up the the base level uh, for everybody so going back to where does that go into developer experience. Uh, that's usually what people are like measured against, right? Like, hey, you know, we're all working towards delivering this feature, but also like, w- w- there's also like other objective measures to kind of kind of look at and that's, you know, a good developer experience will increase metric, those metrics uh, intrinsically across the book.
1: Well, Ravi, it's been great having you on the podcast. Really enjoyed learning a bit more about Harness and uh, some of these concepts around developer experience. Um, we're going to post a link to some of your social profiles for anyone that wants to follow Ravi to keep up with what he's working on. Um, and we'll post a link to harness as well. So yeah. Thanks so much, Ravi. Cool. Thank you for having me, Ben.
2: Hey. This is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.